So Aleinu is a beautiful prayer that we say in our Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur prayers. And in a moment I'll explain to you exactly where they are. I'm going to meanwhile pass out papers with the copies of Aleinu that you can uh, let me hold one for myself with the copies of Aleinu that you will be able to um, follow along as we go through the details. Um, don't ask me questions yet on the details of the prayer. We will soon get to that. So we, we recited again it's central to our Rosh Hashanah prayers, central, central to our Yom Kippur prayers. Um, and we also nowadays recited every single day at the end of each prayer. Now, the Aleinu includes two paragraphs in the copies I made for you. One paragraph is on one side of the paper. Second paragraph is on the other side of the paper. Um, The first paragraph of Aleinu speaks about how we praise God for making us different from all the other nations and giving us the opportunity to worship the creator of all to whom none can compare. Um, if you see the paper, it is our obligation to praise the master of everything, to ascribe greatness to the primal creator for not making us like the nations of the world or causing us to be like the families of the earth. He has not endowed us with a portion like theirs nor made our lot like their multitudes, for they prostrate themselves before vanity and nothingness. But we, me, prostrate ourselves and give thanks to the, before the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be He. And then we continue to speak about the greatness of God, for He extends the heavens and establishes the earth. The seat of His glory is in the heavens above, and the abode of His strength is in the loftiest heights. He is our God, there is none else. Our King is true aside for Him. There is nothing as it is written in His Torah. Know this day, take it to your heart that God is the Lord in the heavens above and upon the earth below. There is nothing else. And then the second paragraph, which continues on the second side of the page, Va'al Cain then continues to say, Therefore, we hope for a time when idol worship will disappear and everyone will come to recognize God. So here's how it reads. You could follow along. We therefore put our hope in you, God our Lord, that we may speedily behold the splendor of your might, that you remove idols from the earth, so that false deities will be utterly cut off to perfect the world under the sovereignty of the Almighty. All flesh will invoke your name, causing all the wicked of the earth to turn to you. All the inhabitants of the earth will recognize you and know that every knee should bend to you, that every tongue should swear by your name. Before you, God our Lord, they will kneel and prostrate themselves, give honor to the glory of your name. They will accept upon themselves the yoke of your kingdom. May you speedily reign over them forever and ever. For sovereignty is yours, and to all eternity you will reign in glory. As it is written in your Torah, God will reign forever and ever. And it is said, God shall be the king over the entire earth on that day. God will be one, and his name one. So that is the beautiful prayer of Aleinu. Where did this prayer of Aleinu come from? Like most of our prayers, the prayer of Aleinu is very, very old. That's one thing that almost all our prayers, they all have in common, they're all very old. Um, They only vary in how old they are. But they're all hundreds, if not thousands of years old. The prayer of Aleinu was originally part of the Musaf prayer of Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, and I think I mentioned this um, last week, 
On Rosh Hashanah, we have a very special Musaf additional prayer. Normally, our daily prayer, the Amida prayer, or the Shmona Esri, which is the most important prayer, um, traditionally known as Shmona Esri, the 18, because it originally had 18 blessings. They later added a 19th blessing. It's now 19 blessings, but it's still called the 18. We, the, now, of those 18 blessings, this, the three opening blessings, three closing blessings, and 13 middle blessings. On Shabbat and holidays, we cut out the 13 middle blessings, which are requests for different things we need. We don't want to ask for things on Shabbat. And therefore, we put in, cut out the 13 middle ones. We put in one blessing about the day, the Shabbat or the holiday. So we have three at the beginning, three at the end, one in the middle, making a total of seven. On Rosh Hashanah, though, in the Musaf prayer, which is the additional prayer we have on Rosh Hashanah after the morning prayers, we have, instead of putting one blessing in the middle, we put in nine, uh, three blessings in the middle, making altogether nine blessings. Three opening blessings, three closing blessings, and these three middle blessings. What are the three middle blessings on Rosh Hashanah? So the first one is Malchiot, declaring God as king. The second one is Zichronot, asking God to remember us. And the third one is Shofrot, about the blowing of the shofar. Now, each blessing has the bulk of the blessing, the blessing itself, which is essentially quoting ten verses from Scripture, three from the Torah, three from the books of Ketuvim, of the writings, three from the books of our prophets, and then one from the Torah about that theme. That is the bulk of the blessing. And then each blessing has a opening that we call a pticha in Hebrew, and each blessing has a closing. The Aleinu blessing was, the Aleinu prayer was originally written, was originally part of the Rosh Hashanah Musaf blessing of Malchiot declaring God's reign over our world. And it was the pticha, it was the introduction or the opening part of the Malchiot blessing. And you can see why. It is praising God and declaring God's reign over this world. So that was the pticha, the opening of this malchiot, of this blessing, declaring God's reign in the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah. It is still there today. If you open your Rosh Hashanah prayer book called a machser, you will see at the opening of the, after the three um, standard opening blessings of the, of the, um, of the Amida, of the Shemona Esrei, we get the three special Musaf blessings. At the opening, we talk a little bit about the sacrifices, and then at the opening of the Malchiot, of the, the part that declares God's reign over the world, we have the Aleinu prayer. That is where, it, according to our sources, that is where it originated. Later, um, it was added to other prayers as well. Who wrote the three blessings of? Who wrote these three blessings um, in the Musaf prayer that we had? Um, who wrote these three blessings? So these blessings, like all blessings, came from the men of the great assembly. All blessings in Judaism and all, most prayers in Judaism, including the Amida prayer, were generally written by the men of the great assembly who lived right at the beginning of the Second Temple, at the very end of the Persian Empire, just before the Greek conquest of the Persian Empire. Uh, according to Jewish traditions, the Greek conquest was about 331 BCE. So it is a little bit before that. Um, so in the 300s BCE, that is when the, um, 
That is when the Aleno prayer, that is when these prayers were originally written. However, our tradition is that the blessings, the introductions and the ends and some of the details of the blessings went through some change, of the Rosh Hashanah Musa blessing, just these three blessings went through some change. And the final version, as we have it, was actually composed by Rav. <coughs> Who was Rav? Rav really is the subject of his own class. Write that down. So, who was, who was Rav? So, Rav, whose real name was Abba, he lived in the late 100s, early 200s. Abba is a common Jewish name. Um, he lived in the late 100s, early 200s. He was a student of Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the author of the Mishnah, the first work of, um, the first work of our oral traditions that was written down. And he studied under him in Israel, in, um, in um, Tzipori, where he lived. And then he moved to Babylon, where he established the yeshiva of Surah, which would become one of the two main yeshivas in Babylon for some 800 years. There were two great schools that were the center of Jewish learning. And the Surah, the yeshiva that he established, was the center of Jewish learning. And his arrival in Babylon and establishing the yeshiva in Babylon became the, was the moment that essentially brought Babylonian Jewry to prominence that it didn't have before. We have a class coming up in a couple weeks about Babylonian Jewry um, next year, beginning next year. Um, the, well, I'm, I'm planning on doing a class. The, but we, uh, uh, Rav is considered, in a sense, the founder of... Babylonian Jewry was there hundreds of years before Rav, but it was a very large community, but he created it as a center of Torah, and therefore he became known as Rav. Rav is Hebrew for rabbi. He was the rabbi. He just, he's just known as Rav. So our tradition is that um, Rav composed these blessings of the Amida, and therefore, uh, based on that, Aleinu uh, would have then been composed by Rav. From there, um, the Aleinu prayer was then copied from the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah. It was copied into the Yom Kippur prayers as well. On Yom Kippur, our prayers are very, very long. Part of the length of our prayers um, on Yom Kippur is the Avodah. The Avodah refers to the service in the temple. On Yom Kippur, when the temple stood, the high priest had a special service that he would do that involved going into the Holy of Holies, offering incense there, offering special sacrifices, um, doing a lottery between two goats, offering one as a sacrifice, one sending and to be thrown off a cliff. I think a year ago or two years ago we did a class. We went through the details of this. So we no longer have our temple standing. We no longer do. The, we no longer have a high priest to do the service in the... Um, we no longer have a high priest to do the service in the temple. However, instead, we have a number of beautiful poems, very long poems, that describe the service in the temple in very, very great detail. And so in the middle of the cantor's repetition of the Musaf prayer, we stop, and after we do a number of songs and 
poems that we read throughout the prayers on the high holidays. We have a whole section where we read the Avoda. We read about the service of the high priest on Yom Kippur. And during that service, as we get to the moments where everybody would bow in, on Yom Kippur, everybody standing in the temple would bow to the ground. We all also bow down on the ground. And so and we go through the service in great detail. So as an introduction to the Avoda of Yom Kippur, we took the Aleno prayer, which is such a beautiful prayer, and it's used as the introduction into the Avoda, into the poems describing the service of the high priest on Yom Kippur. Later, um, in the early days of Ashkenazic Jewry, about a thousand years ago, give or take, um, possibly already in the Gaonic period, um, which would be the period about 600 to 1,000, we began to recite the Alena prayer. It was such a beautiful prayer. We began to recite the Alena prayer after our morning prayers every single morning. Later, it was such a beautiful prayer. By the 15th or 16th century, we started saying it three times a day after every single prayer, morning prayer, afternoon prayer, and evening prayer, a practice that we still do today. Um, we recite the Aleno prayer three times a day at the end of each prayer. So it's widely thought that Rav would have composed the Aleno prayer as the author of the, of the three special blessings in the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah. However, we do have a tradition that tells us of an earlier composer of the Aleno prayer, and that is Joshua. So we have a tradition that the Aleno prayer was actually composed by Joshua, who was Moses' disciple and successor, who took over after Moses died before leading the people into the promised land. And he led the people into the promised land over the Jordan and led them in conquering the promised land. And his greatest concern, as Moses' greatest concern, was that they would learn from the nations around them and worship their idols. And so he taught them this beautiful prayer that they should always recognize the difference and between them and the people around them. Now, presumably Joshua didn't compose it exactly as we have it today because some of the words in this prayer are from a Mishnaic Hebrew, from a later Hebrew that didn't yet exist in the days of Joshua. So if Joshua composed it, our tradition is that Joshua composed it, but it would have then been adjusted or edited over the years since. We have a tradition that Jewish, uh, generally Jewish poets, and I think I mentioned this last week as well, previous weeks as well, when I talked about Slichot two weeks ago, um, Jewish poets tend to sign their names in their poems. So they always will put their name in the poem, usually by putting the first letter of each stanza or each word or each line would then together spell out their name. And most Hebrew poems, the author signs their name in the poem, which makes it very easy to know who the author is. So, if you look at the Aleno prayer, you will see that Joshua actually signed his name into the Aleno prayer, although it is backwards, which is commonly done. Sometimes they sign it backwards as well. If you look at the Aleno prayer, the first word of the Aleno prayer starts with an ayin. 
The second letter, the, then if you skip two lines, the next stanza of the Elena prayer um, starts, Shalom, starts with a Shin. Um, and then if you skip two lines, the next stanza of the Aleno prayer, Va'anachno stands with, sta- starts with a Vav. And then if you skip two more lines, the next stanza of the Aleno prayer starts who? Starts with a Hey. Now if you read that backwards, you end up Hey, Vav, Shin, Ayin, which spells the word ho Now, Originally, Joshua's name, the Torah tells us, was Hosea. That was the name he was given at birth. Later, Moses changed his name, and at, Hosea means save. God, Moses changed his name and added his, made his name, added a yud to the beginning, making it Yehoshua, which means asking, adding the yud at the beginning, yud and hey, make God's name. God should save. It's very common. A lot of Jewish names have Yud Hey Vav at the beginning, or Yud Hey at the beginning, because to make God's name. Um, Yehoshadok, Yehoshaphat, there's a lot of Jewish names that have the Yud Hey Vav, so he made it Yehoshua, God should say. But he signed his original name, his birth name, Hosea, over here in the Aleinu prayer. We further have a tradition that the next paragraph of the Aleno prayer was written also by a contemporary of Yahushua by the name of Achan. The first town that Joshua captured, that Joshua and the people captured when they crossed the Jordan River, was the town of Jericho. And the book of Joshua tells us the great miracle, how they captured the town of Jericho. God told them to march around Jericho for seven days, every day march around and blow the shofar. On the seventh day, to march around Jericho seven times, which they did, they marched around seven times, and after and blow, blew the shofar, and then the walls of Jericho fell to the ground. They were able to just walk into the city. Yes, Annette? He had them march on Shabbat. He had them march on Shabbat. It was an instruction from God. Very good question. Um, he did have them march on Shabbat. Normally we would not be able to fight on Shabbat unless attacked, but he did have them march on Shabbat. God instructed them to do so. And so, in fact, Jericho, our tradition is that Jericho was captured on Shabbat. So then, when, after Joshua captured Jericho, Joshua declared all of Jericho to be cheren, all the booty, everything that was left behind by the inhabitants that they had captured was all they... Um, the, uh, all, everything that was left behind, nobody is allowed to take. Um, it is going to be donated to the temple. The first of everything you get should always go to God. Later, the next town they were supposed to capture was a very small town called Ai. And so Joshua sent a small group to capture Ai, and the group suffered a bitter defeat. And Joshua was devastated after... The second place they captured, they already suffered a defeat. How can such a thing happen? Wasn't God supposed to help them? He turns to God in prayer, um, begs God, what happened? And God said, the people have sinned. They have committed a terrible crime. And therefore, I I am not with them. You must eradicate the sin. What was the sin? Somebody had taken from the spoils of Jericho, which were donated to the temple. Joshua, though, did not know. Now, normally you would not think of it as a terrible sin. 
how bad is it? But God, this is the first thing they did right after they came to the promised land. God considered a terrible sin. And he did not only blame the person who did it, he blamed all the people. And that is based on our covenant that we had in the parsha two weeks ago where Moses said, all of you are responsible for everybody else. So Joshua said, well, God, tell me who did it. I will punish him. God said, what do you think? You think I'm going to tell you who did it? You've got to go figure it out. <laughs> um, anyway, God, in the end, Joshua does figure it out. Um, God tells him to make a lottery, and he makes lotteries. And, he, and anyway, he figures it out. It is a man called Achan. And Achan admits to his sin. He had taken some silver, um, and he had taken some, some material. And, um, and, um, and Achan gives it to Joshua. And then um, Achan, who, com- who had sinned, then composes this prayer of Ken, the second paragraph, con- um, adding to, hey, he repented, and he composed this second paragraph. And if you see, Achan's name is also signed in this paragraph. The first three words are Ken Nekaved. The Vav is just end. So the three first word starts with an Ayin. The second word starts with a Kaf. And the third letter starts with a nun, making spelling the name Achan. You see, you see, he signed his name over there. He speaks about the greatness of God. Now, interestingly, this prayer of Aleinu, both paragraphs of this prayer of Aleinu, actually if, has, have another word alluded to in them, which is the word Ed. Testimony. We are testifying that our belief in God and our declaration that everybody should believe in God. If you turn back to the Aleinu page, the Aleinu itself starts with an ayin and ends with a dalet, spelling the word ed. Ed means testimony. We are a witness. We are bearing witness to this declaration. We have another prayer that also has witness hidden in it, which is the Shema prayer. In the Shema prayer, the first line of the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, the first word Shema ends with an Ayin, and the last, um, and the last word Echad ends with a Dalet, spelling the word and witness, we are calling witness to our declaration of God's unity. Then, um, we should do a class on the Shema. Then, um, if you turn over the page to the second paragraph, the V'alken, so again, the Vav just means and, so Alken starts with an Ayin, and it ends with a Dalet. It ends with Echad, it ends with a Dalet. Our tradition actually is that Originally, this poem in its origin did not have the verses at the end as it is written in your Torah. So originally, the, the poem ended three lines up with the word Bechavod. Three lines up from the bottom. Bechavod also ending with a Dalad. Then when Rav added it to the prayer 
at the end of, at the beginning of the declaration of God's reign in the Musa prayer of Rosh Hashanah, he added that first verse, as it is written in your Torah, God will reign forever and ever. And if you see that line also ends with a Dalet. So he chose a verse that ended with a Dalet. It still starts with an Ayin and ends with a Dalet. And then later when we added it to our daily prayers, we added the final verse, um, which comes from Bayom Ahuyiyeh, um, and which comes from our prophets. And there it also ends with a Dalet, keeping in that starting with an ayin, ending with a Dalet, calling Ed, witness, calling witness to our declaration. Now, because of the importance of the Aleinu prayer, the Aleinu is always said standing. In fact, it's been pointed out, it's pointed out in Perkei Rabbi Eliezer, in an early Midrash, that the word aleinu, everything in Hebrew, is very, very exact, and we have all sorts of different tools that we use in order to allude to different things. The Hebrew word, every letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a number value. Aleph is one, Bet is two, Gimel is three, when we get to Yud, it's ten, then we move on to 20, 30, 40, and then we get to a kuf is 100, then 200, 300, 400. So, um, it's another topic for our class too. The numeric values of the numbers, of the letters. Um, and so every, um, every, um, every word has a number value. The number value of the word aleinu is, ayin is 70, lamad is 30, yud is 10, nun is 50, vav is 6, 70, 30, 10, 50, and 6 equals 166, which is the same num- number value as the word um, umad, standing up. That it should be said standing. We always stand. It is such an important declaration. Now, in the Aleno prayer, in our copies here on the fifth line, we have the words va'anachnu, how they all bow to their idols. Va'anachnu korim umishtachavim umodim. We bend the knee, prostrate ourselves, and give thanks before the King of Kings, the Holy One. Blessed is He. Now. Bend the knee and give thanks. When do we bend the knee and give thanks? So it's a reference to when the temple stood. In the temple, every time the name of God was mentioned, which was firstly when the Kohanim, when the priests would do their Kohanic blessings, in the Kohanic blessing, the priestly blessing, they would do every day in the temple, they would mention God's name three times. Every time they would mention God's name, everybody would get down on the floor on their hands and knees, putting their head down to the floor, bowing down, prostrating themselves before God. In addition on Yom Kippur, there were a number of times through the high priest's service that the high priest would say God's name. When God's name was mentioned, everybody would bow down to the ground. In addition to that, after we recite our daily prayers every single morning, we are supposed to recite tachanunim. We are supposed to recite supplications, begging God to have pity on us, have mercy on us. When we do that, we are supposed to get down on our hands and knees and get down on the ground. 
So when we, and we, in these instances, we are bowing down to God, and that is what we are referring to. Because we speak of bowing down to God, as we recite the... Um, sorry, before I get to that. So now... Um, so every day, every morning, every afternoon, after our daily prayers, we would bow down to God. However, after the destruction of the temple, we stopped bowing. They only bowed down to God when God's name was mentioned in the temple, not outside the temple. It is forbidden, I should mention, to bow outside the temple on a, wooden, on a stone floor. You're not allowed to bow down on stone outside the temple. It's one of our 613 commandments. Um, the, in the temple, the floor itself was stone. We were bowing down to God, but so it should not look like you're bowing down to the stone that you are on, because people would bow down to stone. We are forbidden from bowing on stone. We can only bow down on carpeted or wooden or dirt floors. Um, now, or sand floors. For that reason, for that reason, synagogues were always built without stone floors. And so in places where floors were all stone, the synagogues would be made of sand. And I know somebody told me they went to the Caribbean. There's still a few synagogues over there. Um, old synagogues that are built uh, where the floor is still sand. Um, in um, Arab countries where they would make stone floors, they would carpet the floor so that we did not bow down on stone. So now after the structure of the temple, though, we stopped bowing down when we did our supplications because the Talmud tells us that if somebody is not worthy of God immediately answering their prayer and they bow down, um, it is um, then they're bowing to God and God is not answering. It doesn't look good. So therefore, we should not bow down after the structure of the temple. It, um, we are not of on. We don't have. We're not on the same level to be able to bow down the way they once did. And therefore, we no longer bow down when we do the tachanunim, when we do the um, supplications after our daily prayer. Instead, we just sit down and we put our head in our, we, we cover our head with our hands, with our arms, with our arm, and we say the tachanun, the supplication prayer. We no longer bow on the floor. Uh, we also don't bow on the floor um, when, uh, we don't bow on the floor. Therefore, when reciting the daily Aleinu prayer, now, originally, when they would recite the Aleinu prayer, they would also bow on the floor. Therefore, we, when reciting the daily Aleinu prayer, do not bow on the floor. However, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, because they are special days, they are holidays, we are on a more spiritual level, therefore, when we recite the Aleinu prayer, it is customary for, um, in some synagogues it's just the men, in some, in some the women do it as well. I don't know why some synagogues women don't do it, but it's customary that when reciting the Alena prayer and say we kneel and bow, we actually kneel down on the floor and then we prostrate, we bow down on the floor, putting our, head and our hands down onto the floor as we recite the Alena prayer. We do that both on Rosh Hashanah as well as on Yom Kippur. If you haven't seen it, you didn't stay long enough through the prayers to be able to see it. Um, we then, in the Yom Kippur prayer, we also, through, as we tell the story of the service of the high priest in the temple, and we tell how the high priest mentioned the name of God and everyone would bow, when telling it, we go through the motions and we bow on the floor as well as we do that. However, during the year, not Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we no longer bow. 
And so therefore, when saying these words that we kneel, we bend on the knee and prostrate ourselves, we no longer do that when reciting the Alena prayer throughout, except during the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Many communities have a custom that as a symbol, they lower their knees a little bit and bow forward a little bit, just kind of to sign what we do, but not exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Um, other communities, Chabad custom is not to do anything since we are forbidden to kneel and to bow when it is not Rosh Hashanah um, and Yom Kippur. Now we know that throughout our history, many of our ancestors were killed for being Jewish, particularly in Christian lands. We were killed for being Jewish. And um, I think today so many of our ancestors were killed for being Jewish that I think we can say without tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, well, millions in the Holocaust were killed for being Jewish. Um, but throughout all of our history, people were killed for being Jewish. I think every one of us today are descendants of Jews who were killed for being Jewish. Um, and we know that uh, many of our ancestors who were killed as they were being killed would recite the Aleinu prayer, the clearing, because it's essentially our declaration of allegiance to God. This is our declaration of faith. So they would recite the Aleinu prayer as they were being killed. In 1171, the Jewish community in Blois, France, um, many of their leaders were killed at stake, uh, being, being burned alive. And a witness, in a letter that we have, a witness describes the whole event, a, a Jew who witnessed it, and he describes how the martyrs, as they were being burned, sang the Aleno prayer with a beautiful haunting, with the beautiful haunting tune of Aleno that even moved their executioners were um, emotional from hearing them sing this prayer. Now, we don't know for certain what song they sang in Blois, France, it was almost certainly not the song that we tend to sing in the synagogue today, um, which I'll soon tell you where that one comes from. Um, it was most likely the song that we sing on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We have a very haunting tune for Aleno. Most of our Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur tunes come from early German Jewry about a thousand years ago. And um, if you've heard it in the synagogue, it starts, Aleinu l'shabeyach l'adon hakol. It's a very haunting, slow melody um, that we sing, and so possibly that's what they sang then as well. Um, now, well, for us, Aleinu is a basic proclamation of our faith and our belief in, God, belief in God and our rejection of idol worship, for our neighbors, um, Aleno was blasphemy for their beliefs. They did not like Aleno. Particularly when we lived in Christian lands, the Christians did not like Aleno. It essentially does explain why we're not Christian. Um, but they felt that Aleno was blasphemy. There was one line that particularly irked them that they really didn't like. And that was the line, Shehem Mishtachavim, the fourth line, Shehem Mishtachavim Lehevo Vlarik, for they prostrate themselves before vanity and nothingness. That's what we're calling their gods. And in an early version of Aleinu, it adds from Isaiah as well, they bowed to a God that cannot save them. And so they found that 
very offensive. In the year 1400, there was a Jew who converted out of the faith. We had a handful of these. They weren't common, but we had a handful of these over the years um, that converted to Christianity, and they were usually what we call self-hating Jews. And they were generally the worst of our anti-Semites were Jews. This is throughout most of our history. The worst anti-Semites, the one that hated Jews the most, were Jewish, right? Hitler was likely had a Jewish grandfather. <laughs> Although he destroyed all the evidence um, because he didn't want anyone to know. So, but almost all our worst enemies were Jewish. So his name was, he was his Hebrew name was Pesach. He went by the name Peter. Um, anyway, he decided that the word Velarik, which in an earlier version that he had, did not have the Lamed, but read um, Lehevel Varik. He decided that the word Varik, which has a gematria, a number value of, 200 and, of 316, is the exact same gematria as the word Yeshu, which is the word that Jews use to refer to the Christian God. And so he said that when we speak of varik, nothingness, we are referring to the Christian God and we are defaming him. And therefore, um, this whole prayer is blasphemy. As a result, prayer books were banned. Sometimes they forced us to rip the Aleno prayer out of our siddur. Um, and sometimes Jews were killed because they were accused of of defaming the Christian <coughs> God. Of course, this is ridiculous for many reasons, as many Jewish scholars throughout the years who have been forced to debate Christians have explained. Um, firstly, we believe that this was composed by Joshua a thousand years before Christianity came on the world. Secondly, the words Lahevel Varik, those words, as he had it in his version, um, are found in Isaiah, um, who lived long before Christianity began. Uh, vanity and nothingness. So if you have a problem with that word, um, um, that they're vanity and nothingness, and you think it refers to your God, well, Isaiah already spoke of it. So um, it goes back much earlier. Furthermore, the author of Laleinu, as um, in our current version, is Rav, who lived in Babylon in the early 200s. Babylon was in the Parthian Empire. Outside of Rome, there were, this is even firstly long before Rome adopted Christianity, long before Christianity was big, there were, no per, there were no Christians in Babylon at the time. So when Rav composed his prayer, he probably didn't know any Christians. Why would he think to compose it about the Christian God? Um, in addition to all that, Jews use the term Yeshu to refer to the Christian God itself as a derogatory form because it is an abbreviation of Yemach Shemo Vezichro. There's no Hebrew name Yeshu. There is no such Hebrew name. His name was probably Yehoshua, Joshua. Um, we don't know. We have no idea. But it definitely wasn't Yeshu. There's no such Hebrew name. We know of no one called Yeshu. Rather, Yeshu is a play on words from his Christian name. And, but it's an acronym for Yemach Shemo Vezichro. May his name and memory be obliterated. So Yeshu itself is a um, term that Jews would use to um, put down um, their Christian God. Um, so 
if that is uh, referring to, that's not his real name anyway. Anyway, the Alena was outlawed in many parts of Germany, and this continued and throughout um, Eastern Europe, and this continued to be a problem throughout the generations. Um, at a certain point, they made us take it out of the Siddur, these words, and you'll see many prayer books today don't have these words. They prostrated van before vanity and nothingness. They, they, they took them out and they printed prayer books without them because they did not want to get into trouble. Uh, in fact, um, and this was a problem in Prague in the 17th century. We know Rabbi Shaya Horowitz had to deal with it, um, an answer to the local bishop um, in Amsterdam, even, which was generally considered an open um, and free society in Holland um, in the 17th century. Uh, Menashe ben Yisrael, the chief rabbi, had to deal with this problem. And so that's why they just took out these offensive words to avoid upsetting Christians. In Prussia, which is the prelude to Germany, in 1702, the king, the, the king of Prussia forbade Jews from reciting these words. There was also a common custom when Jews would recite these words, for they prostrate themselves to vanity and nothingness, Jews would spit to show their disgust for the idols. And so they would spit on the ground. And so it was a common custom, and so they forbade, the law forbade reciting these words and spitting when recited during the Aleno prayer. And the king went a step further. He recite, required that the first part of the prayer, be until right after that, those offensive words, be sung out loud. Because they suspected that Jews were muttering those words quietly. So they required the prayer to be sung out loud. And they would have, um, and they would have representatives of the king in the synagogues to listen to make sure that they were not saying the offensive words. And from then, and this gradually sped, spread throughout Germany, they, because we were forced to, we would sing the Aleno prayer out loud, which is presumably where our Aleno song um, originated. In, it's a, it's a, of German origin, we don't know if it started in the 1700s, but they would, German Jews would sing it out loud because originally they were forced to do so to ensure they were not saying those offensive words. So Aleinu st still, we just take it, we're, we're over time, I'll take questions after. Aleinu still remains one of the most beautiful, most powerful prayers in Judaism, which is why we recite it so often. It declares all our basic beliefs, our contrast with the other nation, and most important, the second half, um, we hope for a godly future where the world will change, become a better place, um, and, um, will, and remind us of a, and become a better place where everyone will recognize God and do the right thing. And we're told, um, Kabbalah tells us this is a prayer to really focus on, pay attention during this powerful prayer um, because of its great power. It also reminds us that despite all those that rose against us and tried to stop us from reciting this Aleinu prayer, we still recite it proudly today. And on Yom Kippur, on Wednesday, we will be reciting it as part of our introduction when we will bow down to the ground as we say we kneel and we prostrate ourselves. We will bow down to the ground as we recite it, God willing, on this Yom Kippur.